Good morning. We now join a live Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. It doesn't sound like I'm on. Hold on. That's my fault, not our text. All right, good morning. Can you hear me better now? Great. It's good to be here with you this morning. And to those who are listening either online or on the radio, um, I'm Pastor Kevin Thompson here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere. And glad to be getting together around God's Word, and especially now as we're in our series of what we believe, looking at the core teachings of what do we believe as LCMS um, Christians. But before we get into anything more, one note, there are, there's a Bible card over off to my left. I didn't print the scriptures. I printed a lot of references, and we're going to page through it. So if you need a Bible, it's over there, also with a handout. But let's now begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day that you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to study your word as we also consider more deeply baptism. The wonderful, gracious gift that you have given to so many of us here in this room and that you desire to give to anybody and everybody in this world. So Lord, may now your Holy Spirit bless us in our time of study. May it strengthen us in our faith. And Lord, may we grow closer to you each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're looking at the core teachings of what we believe, teach, and confess here at St. Paul's part of the LCMS. And today, thankfully I have a little less ground to cover than uh, Pastor Stephen King had last week where he had quite a, quite a lot of ground to cover. Today we're going to talk about baptism. So as I said, there's a handout over there, and I did a two-sided handout um, that goes through the core teachings and statements that we believe with baptism. And I try to put as many references as I could next to that so that you'll see that times if we're maybe not digging into scripture every single time explicitly, like opening the Bible, you'll see it all comes from scripture. I'm not just making this stuff up and this stuff sounds good for me to say. But like I did say earlier, we're going to flip a lot back and forth through scripture and really see that throughout the, God's word, we learn so much about baptism and, the, and its importance. Now, before we get into actually talking about baptism, what I neglected to put on the sheet, what we do need to talk about, is that baptism is one of two sacraments that we hold in, the, in our church body. A sacrament has to have three things. We believe that there are three things that has, something has to have to be considered a sacrament in our, in our, according to the Bible and our teachings. A sacrament has to be instituted by Christ, which means it's instituted or the other word we use is commanded, okay? especially when I'm talking with um, our 7th and 8th graders, they're like, what does institute mean? That's a foreign word, right? We don't use institute a whole lot in our daily language, but essentially the best way synonym to use for is commanded. That is commanded, instituted, started by Christ, and he tells us this is what you should do, and this is how you should do it. So if something is instituted by Christ, second, it has to give forgiveness, the thing that what is considered a sacrament has to actually give a person, give us forgiveness. And the third is that there has to be a physical element. So you have God's forgiveness that also he has linked, he has tied to a physical element as well. That he's taken his word and he's taken and he's paired it with something very simple and ordinary and physical in our world. So we believe there are two sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. Both of those two things, baptism and Holy Communion, were instituted by Jesus Christ himself. As we look in Scripture, he tells us, go baptize. In Scripture, he says, take and eat, take and drink. So you got, they got the institution. The next one promise, gives forgiveness, promises forgiveness. We're going to talk about today, baptism definitely gives forgiveness. So does the Lord's body and blood with the bread and wine. Gives us forgiveness every time we receive it. And the third, that physical element, baptism's physical element is water. Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, physical element is bread and wine. I don't, unless you have questions, we can go there. I don't intend to go on a far rabbit trail down on what other churches believe with sacraments, other than to recognize other denominations do consider other things to be sacraments. And I, I only don't want to go down that trail also because I'm Lutheran, okay? I don't want to speak for the Catholics or other church body, other denominations, because I want to do so respectfully and... I'm not an expert in their, what they believe. I do know other church bodies, though other denominations hold more, more than just those two sacraments. 
but we believe that a sacrament has to be those three things. That's why we stick to those. For example, another sacrament in another church body is confirmation. Now, do I believe confirmation is important? Yes. That's why some of you are in this class. That's why I spend a lot of my time working with our youth who go through confirmation too. Absolutely it's important. It's just not a sacrament because confirmation doesn't give forgiveness of sins. And technically it's not commanded by God. God tells us we should learn about our faith, study our faith, study his word. But God never says you should go be confirmed after so much instruction and therefore be a confirmed member of the church. Okay. So we look at it, and other church bodies may hold more sacraments, but those are key. Instituted by Christ, gives forgiveness, and has a physical element. But let's dive into Scripture. That's why we're here, right? If you would like to, and you turn with me um, in, your electro- uh, in your phone Bible or on, on a paper Bible to Mark chapter 7, verse 4. Mark 7, verse 4. I'm just going to read that for us. Mark 7 verse 4 says, And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there there are many other traditions which they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. You're like, why are we reading this random verse, right? Well, multiple times in that verse, it says to wash. That they needed, that they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions, such as... I want to look at this very seemingly random passage first because the the Greek word that's used there for washing all those other things, the hands and the vessels, is baptizo. I wish I had a board. I should have gotten a whiteboard. I'm kind of a, a writer. I like to write on the whiteboard, okay? Baptizo. That's the Greek word that's used there, baptizo. And baptizo, the Greek word, literally means to wash. Can you hear baptizo sounding almost like baptize? In our language, right, okay? So we talk about baptism. Before we, can get, before we even get deep into any of the teachings and the doctrine, all the wonderful stuff that God's packed into baptism, on the simplest level we see, baptize is to wash. And we'll see how God takes this, this simple word, how you wash all these other things like hands and vessels and the like, and he pairs it with his powerful word, and he does the most amazing washing that could ever happen. A spiritual washing, a washing of our sins away. But I get ahead of myself. So what does baptize mean to wash? Now if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Maybe could someone say this from memory by chance for those who've been in this class before? No, you don't want me to pick on you and make you say it from memory? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And this is, here we have uh, Jesus speaking, okay? So key word, key to know here is Jesus is speaking. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here is the institution, the command from Jesus Christ himself to baptize okay right here at the end of matthew's gospel so as he's he's died he's risen already and he's gonna and he's gonna leave he'll ascend before he goes he gives his command to his disciples to his believers go make disciples how do you make disciples how do you make believers baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and here's here's this is a personal thing we don't stop there Read all of verse 22, okay? A lot of times, Christians at times, and I was guilty of this before, you stop, you say, all right, go baptize them. And you stop, and you forget the whole verse 20. He says, go baptize and teach them. So it's not just a baptize, be done with it, good, you're ready to go, and everything's done. You have to baptize and continue on teaching. This word here, when it says teaching, doesn't indicate any end point, which is why you're here, Right? Because you're here as Christians, many of you, most if not all of you have already been baptized. And you're here because you want to keep on learning, keep being taught by God's word. Okay, So that's a personal thing. We don't stop at verse verse 19 because God's word says baptize and then keep on teaching. So as you'll see on your note sheet, the way I do my notes is I tend to ask a lot of questions. Because hopefully you'll go out in your daily life and at some point someone will ask you, so okay, baptism's great. How should I do it? 
So you'll see my notes are hopefully organized in a way that might sound somewhat similar to conversations you'll have in your real life. So the next thing on your note sheet, if you have one, says, how are we to be baptized? How are we to be baptized? As it just says right here, Matthew chapter 28, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is what I would argue, based on Scripture, the name of God, the true God. True God is the triune God. One God, three persons. There are three things that I think we can really learn from this. The first, as I wrote down on the sheet there, is it means you're not baptized by a human being. I think this one's difficult for us to, to really always wrap our minds around because if you have a baptism, if we had a baptismal font here, you'd come forward and be baptized and I or another pastor would stand there and we'd pour the water over your head and we'd say the word of God, but it looks like I'm doing it. Because I'm the one pouring the water. It's my hand going in the water. It's my hand maybe holding the baby or whatever. Or if you're standing there pouring it on your head if you're an adult. But it's not me. No pastor, no human. The baptism is truly baptized by God himself. And, that, and when you are baptized, the other thing this tells us is that God puts his name on you personally. He personally puts his name on you that you're a baptized child of God, you're God's child, because you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a part in the baptismal rite that today I think sounds a little bit odd, because most people are like, well, this sounds weird, right? So we go through the baptismal rite, and about halfway through, you've been already up here talking with this family, you have this little baby, hopefully you already know the family too a little bit, and all of a sudden, halfway through the, through the rite, the pastor says, and how is this child to be named? And some people are like, did you forget who my kid was? We didn't forget, okay? It's just part of the rite because right there before that child or that adult is baptized, you get to state the full name, that full name of the person, who their fullest identity is, as then right, before, right after that, God places his name on that person. That for me, Kevin Craig Thompson receives the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's a personal thing that happens for every single one of us when we're baptized. And that's why it's so important, not just because Jesus said, do it this way, but to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to receive the name of the true God. So that's, that's the one, one important thing. How are we baptized? With the word of God, which is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second one, water. How should we be baptized? With water and the word of God. Okay, and usually, when I'm teaching this with seventh and eighth graders, there's always some kid who says, well, why couldn't we use like Coke or something? Simple answer would be to just say, you know, Bible says not to, Bible says use water. The other thing is that'd just be messy. I mean, really sticky, really gross, okay? So usually I start by saying, well, that'd just be gross. Do you really want to be covered in Coke? No, you don't. Um, but more reasonably, more scripturally speaking, as we see in scripture what God commands, and every single time there's a baptism following his command, is to baptize with water. Okay? And that also goes back to that whole washing. Right? What do you wash your hands, your vessels with? It's just used in other terms, with water. Okay? So you, a baptism is with water and the word. And if, you're, if you are baptized with those two things, it's a baptism. doesn't matter if it's in the Lutheran church, if it's in the Methodist church, Baptist church, doesn't matter what denomination. If you're baptized with God's word and with the water, and his word being in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's a baptism. Because again, it doesn't rest on us as people, as us as people make in these church bodies, but it rests on the power of God's word. Okay? So, I might need to move along so I can get through all this stuff. Can you tell you, excited about baptism is exciting. Okay, uh, so go on from there. On your note sheet, it says the pastor is generally the one who officiates the baptism. But any believer can baptize. If you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first verse. First Corinthians chapter four, verse one says, and this is a passage of scripture that's talking about the ministry of the apostles, the servants of God, okay? 
This is how one should regard us, the apostles, God's servants, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And the reason I have us read that as we consider this is, pastors, we, we are the ones who officiate baptisms. We're the ones who do baptisms most of the time. But that's not because we're better than you. It's not because we're holier or any of those kinds of things. But we have been called by the church to be in this office, as it says in verse 1 here, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And that word steward means that you are taking with care and respect and responsibility of something that doesn't actually belong to you. So we are stewards of God's mystery. We get to officiate. We get to do this baptism on behalf of God. That we just get to be his vessels, his servants, who are doing this baptism. So, again, I share that. That doesn't make us necessarily any holier or any better than you. You could do a baptism too. Now hear me careful. Don't all run out and start doing baptisms. Okay? There is a reason for good order and for having a pastor do baptism and be in the church, okay? So, but technically speaking, any believer can baptize. And we see this in scripture. Now, I do, um, I'll get ahead of myself, sorry. So when might be a circumstance that a baptism isn't um, done by a, a believer other than a pastor? Typically, that would be an emergency situation. If there's an emergency impending death and there's no ability to contact a pastor and you want that child to be baptized, you're a believer and unfortunately you're in a terrible situation where maybe this little baby who was just born is about to die. And you want, and you're there and you're a believer and you want to know for a fact and mark that child with God's word and his name, then yes, absolutely you should baptize. I know there has also been situations where people are like, well, you know what, we'll just call the pastor in and he'll make it and then he still does the baptism and that's great. But sometimes we can't be there. And you're a Christian who also hears this very same command by Christ himself to go, therefore, making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And we haven't even gotten to the benefits of baptism. Baptism is awesome. We get so much of God's gifts through it. So if we have the chance to give that to someone, absolutely we should take it. So generally, it, should, it would only be in emergency situations in which someone other than a pastor does it. And the reason being for that is that if there's not an emergency, come to the church because we are the shepherds, we're supposed to be spiritual leaders. And so that way, ultimately, we can care for the people. It's not a control thing. It's just, so how can we care for you? How can we love on you as, as your pastors, your, your spiritual leaders? And if a baptism is done outside, away from a pastor, an emergency, and then maybe God miraculously brought health to that person or whatnot, then just come tell us. Because we want to celebrate too. Okay? There was a baptism... Many of you have heard the story because, actually, I was in this class. I was in this class, and I told the story about the baptism that I was able to do this last summer at the National Youth Gathering. I shared it in the sermon, too. Okay? Now, even though I, being one of the pastors here, did the baptism, still, we came back a couple weeks later after that baptism, and we were in the sanctuary, and we had an affirmation of baptism where that young woman came forward with her parents and with her sponsors, and they stood up front. Now, she wasn't rebaptized. Because we believe you only need to be baptized once. God's word is powerful. It happens when he, do, when he makes you a child, it's done. But she came forward and we went through the same questions in the sense that she still confessed her faith. She still confessed, this is what God has done for me. This is what I believe. This is the faith that God has worked inside of me. And we wanted to do that here because she was baptized privately. But a baptism is really something that should be publicly celebrated. That we as the church as a whole can celebrate, this is what God has done. This is another child that God has made his, and that's something to celebrate. So, any questions so far? Just because I tend to talk real fast, and then I, yeah. Okay, with that. Okay, with that. Absolutely. Not him. Absolutely. That, that really, I keep thinking about that. Yeah, that's powerful. 
All right, now we're going to dig even more in Scripture. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 41. I'll read that for us in a second. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received, Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, and this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here's where we end our reading of Scripture. This, to me, is one of the best places to go in Scripture to look at baptism. But before we get into that, isn't that just amazing? 3,000 souls were added that day. 3,000 people baptized. That's amazing. It's almost un unbelievable, I think, right? And when I've, I remember many times I read through this, like, whoa, you know, you don't even think about that. 3,000 people, though, and this is true, this is factual. 3,000 people out of that day. But let's break this down a little, a little bit and look at what we have here. So verse 37, they'd heard this. In the preceding verses, they'd heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. They heard of what the disciples had seen and witnessed. They heard about who Jesus was and what he had done what he had taught, they learned about Jesus. So having heard the word of God about Jesus himself, says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. The Spirit's working them. And Peter said, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. So look at this. This is a perfect formula where we see in Scripture how these people, so in this case, you don't have babies, okay? So let's just stay. well, there are babies there. We'll get to that in a second. Most of the people here, you're not talking about babies. You have people who are older. They're, they're hearing the word of God. They're hearing about Jesus Christ. And they heard the word of God, and they hadn't heard it before, and they believed it. So what's the result? They get baptized. Okay? So that is, is a great place for us to look at, that it's okay if you haven't been baptized as, baptized as a baby. There are many people in this world who never had that opportunity. But they should be baptized too. They hear the word, and it doesn't say in here anything about how they had to jump through a bunch of hoops. They had to do a whole bunch of things. What came first was baptism. They heard the word of God, and they were baptized. Because baptism is all about God's word, working faith in us, and creating that faith. It's him. Now, after baptism, we talked about before, there's the teaching and the learning. We continue to grow. There's more of where we get to work at things. We get to spend time studying. But simply just hearing God's word, we're baptized. And then it says, every one of you, every one of them. Now here's where we get into that. There likely were some babies there or some young kids, not just adults. There's this whole crowd, 3,000 people. Those weren't just 3,000 grown adults who were age 40 or above or whatever have you. Just all the people who were there, whole households all together were baptized. Then as it says in verse 38, they're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They receive forgiveness and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this, and it says in verse 39, is a promise for you, for your children, and all who are far off. So if we go back to our note sheet that I kind of skipped over for a second, God wants all people to be baptized, including infants, but all people. Doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter their sex, doesn't matter their ethnicity, their race, anything. Nothing in here specifies how old they have to be, what nation, or anything. It simply says, this promise is for you, for your children, and all people who are far off. 
everybody. Okay? Now go to Acts chapter 16. Let's go a little bit later in the book of Acts. Acts verse 16. Verse uh, 13 through 15. Yeah. Acts chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized, her whole household as well, she heard just saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Another point where we, could dig, we can dig into a whole lot of things here. The point I want to emphasize here is she and her whole household. So again, we get to a whole, whole different kind of ages that could be there. Okay. Now, the next thing on your sheet, you'll see um, I, I referenced Psalm 51. So we're going to turn to Psalm 51 for a second. Because as I talked now, and I've said multiple times, that we believe baptism is for all people, doesn't matter your age. And as we believe here at St. Paul's and in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we baptize babies. One of the reasons, because we look at those other passages and it talks about baptized whole households, one of the other reasons we baptize babies is because, Psalm, as Psalm 51 says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We believe that even babies are sinful, and they too need the washing of forgiveness like everybody else. This is a t tricky point for many people in this world. How can a baby be sinful? You can make the jokes on, well, they make dirty diapers, or, you know, the cut on my nose right there. They can, they can cut you with their little nails. But those are just little jokes, right? The point is, babies are sinful because they are born with original sin. As it says here, in sin was I conceived, I was brought forth in iniquity, that we believe, based on all the way back to Genesis, that God pronounced a curse that's on the entire world, that from that point on, from Adam and Eve, there was sin through all the generations. And it's hard to believe. How can a baby sin? It can't do anything. It can't say anything for so much of the time. But it's still there. It's a sinful human being because they, too, are a human, part of this fallen, sinful world. And even though they haven't done committed sins, which we would call actual sins, they still have that original sin in there. And God desires all people to be saved by the washing of their sins through his forgiveness. So babies are sinful. Babies are part of the household. And we go back to what we talked about already so far. Baptism, the power of baptism rests in God's word. So it goes back to that babies don't have to do anything and show that they can get to a, a certain point of knowledge, that they can say, well, I'm smart enough, I understand enough. No, because the power is on God's word. So you think about those three key things, and that's why we baptize even from the youngest of ages. Some baptize right when they're born, right? So, baptize all people. All right. Let's look at one more passage based on that. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. And hopefully for some of us, this will sound rather familiar once we get into it. If you've ever witnessed a baptism in a congregation. Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17 reads... Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus. They were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. Sound familiar to anyone who's witnessed a baptism in the congregation? Yes. Okay, because this is really the most common passage, at least we read here at St. Paul's, and most churches read before a child's baptized, especially an infant. But we read it even for adults who are baptized here. Because you have right here, the infants, the children were hindered from coming to Jesus. The disciples said, no, don't let them come to you. Now here's a side note, think about this. At that time, culturally, children were looked down upon. 
They were considered, I mean, too lowly. Even there are some senses people didn't even associate with them because they were children. They are lowly children. So like, no, Jesus, you wouldn't want to associate with these lowly children. He says, don't hinder them. Even to them belongs the kingdom of God. They were considered the least, the lowest in society. And even and especially to them, Jesus wanted to give the kingdom of God to them. And we see multiple other places in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, how he says that we are to be like children in our faith. Okay? That like children, we get to receive the gifts God has to give. So I just wanted to bring that out as one more point we see in Scripture, how God shares that baptism doesn't have to be when you reach a certain level of knowledge or a certain age. But he says, just be like the little children. Come to me. Receive the blessings, the gifts that he has to give. All right. Now, here's an interesting topic with this. Sponsors. Why are you laughing? <laughs> laughing probably because it's an interesting topic that there's a whole wide, wide variety of views on. Many people, we, I use the term sponsors. Some people might use the term godparents. I don't know if there's a difference. I guess everyone defines their words differently, right? Okay. What is a sponsor? What's its job? Anyone want to volunteer an information? What's the role of a sponsor? To help raise the child in faith, were you going to say something different? Remind the child of their baptism. The child of their baptism help them raise, be raised in the faith. Was there another hand over there or no? If they lose their family, they should, they should be there to step in to make sure they're still growing in the faith. And that's the one that tripped me up when I was a kid. I always heard that, you know, if you should lose your parents, they should make sure that you're raised in the faith. I always thought that meant that they were the ones who got you. Like if my mom and dad died, like I had to go live with my baptismal sponsors. I was stoked about it. I had my fun uncle and his, and his wife, like my crazy fun uncle, you know, that kind of stereotype. I was all about it. My sister had the one who was very strict. <laughs> so there was a little jealousy. She's like, well, you got the better ones. You're going to have to go fun with them. That's not what it means, Okay. That's not what it means. It means that should you lose your parents, they are your sponsors, your, the people who step in, especially at that point, also before then, but especially at that point, to ensure that you still continue to grow in the, your faith, that you continue to spend time in the word and in worship and growing towards God every day. But even if you don't lose your parents, they should be before that, as you said, that you grow in your faith, that you be encouraged in your faith. I wrote down some points here on the note sheet. One, sponsors witness the baptism. That's a simple thing, but it's also a part. We see in Scripture that there were witnesses, that people saw that it happened. Okay? It's important. Now, sometimes we can't always be at a baptism. Today's a great example. This is weird. I didn't realize this until I'm, I'm now I'm about to say this. Today, I'm missing the baptism where I'm a sponsor for my nephew because I'm here. I'm glad to be here. Don't worry. But my nephew's getting baptized in Indianapolis and I would love to be there, but even if you can't be there, you can still be the sponsor, okay? So it does, if you just can't physically witness the baptism, you can still be their sponsor because there's so much more to it. The sponsors witness the baptism. Second to that, they pray for that baptized person. They support them in ongoing Christian instruction and nurture, and they encourage them to receive the Lord's Supper. This one, I think, is sometimes overlooked. Sometimes people forget, that, especially as you're, you're, the person you're a sponsor for is older and they're at the point where they're receiving the Lord's Supper. How do you continue to encourage them in their faith? Well, we should be regularly receiving the Lord's Supper, repenting our sins and going to the Lord's table to receive his body and blood. So there is a part where a sponsor should encourage them. Hey, you going to church regularly? Are you receiving the Lord's Supper? You don't always think about that one. Um, the other reason I want to bring up why those I think are a difficult topic um, because if you think about that's their role, that is the role of a sponsor, that they should essentially be spiritually caring for that person. But I recognize we live in a world where it's tough because we're in the world and many people have expectations on who should be the sponsor. Okay? That, well, I need to make it my family member because they're my family member. It's my brother or my sister. And so they have to be the, they have to be the godparent for my child because that's just what I have to do. And in many situations, people are torn because it's like, well, that person's not, they're not spiritually active. They're not nurturing their own faith. Now, it is concerning that how can, for someone to be spiritually encouraging to someone else in their faith, if they're not taking care of and nurturing their own faith, that is a concern. My best pastoral guidance around that situation, maybe someone on the air is going to challenge me on this one, is 
if you feel so stuck in those and you've tried and in love and prayer, you've had that conversation with that person, but you're just still so confined that they have to be one of the sponsors, then add some more. Have some more sponsors be there. Okay, have someone else also so that you, you've, and hopefully, again, I say this, that you've talked in love and care for that person. Can I just pick on you for a second? So Randy's my brother, and I've talked, I just, it's better to make a person out of this. So we've talked with Randy, and I've tried to, t- to lovingly, caringly talk to him about, hey, you know, I'd love for you to be a sponsor, but like, I'm concerned because you never go to church. I mean, where's your spiritual life at? And how are you going to encourage my child in their spiritual life? So after love and care and prayer, we've had that. And maybe if you just feel that you just have to do it regardless, I say, okay, Randy, be a sponsor. But I would strongly encourage you to also then bring others along too. You bring others who you know will take that role responsibly. Okay, yeah, Randy's... (laughs) Thanks, Jay. (laughs) Right? So that is the best practical advice I can give to around that. Um, I'm willing to be challenged on that if, if that be the case, but sometimes I feel like we're so stuck in those situations and we've tried our best, but we just, we can't get around it. But we do want to make sure, especially if we have a child, that they have baptismal sponsors who are praying for them and encourage them in their spiritual life. Okay. So, we've talked all this time for like 35 minutes, 40 minutes about baptism. We haven't talked about what's the benefit of it. What's the benefit of baptism? Why is it so important? Why have I spent 40 minutes talking about it? Why is it so great? What's it give? Forgiveness of sins. Okay? Acts chapter 22. Sorry, go to Acts chapter 22. We've already kind of read it in Acts chapter 2. We've read it a little bit in other places. But go to Acts chapter 22, verse 14 through 16. Verse 14, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I just chose another part of of scripture because we see it time and time again. Baptism gives forgiveness of sins. It washes them away. The second benefit, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 3 through 5. For some of us, this is one that they could probably save from memory too. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the second benefit of baptism is rescue from death and the devil. This passage is pretty strong if you really think about it. We've been baptized into, in Christ, so we're baptized into his death. Our sinful nature, our sinful being, we've, been, we've died. Our sins have died. But Christ didn't just stay in the tomb dead. He arose. And because he died and rose, we too die and rise to a newness of life. So we have not only forgiveness of sins, but because of that, we also have the rescue from death and the devil. Now, death still happens in this world. It still exists. One day it'll be gone forever. But a rescue from death and the devil means that even those things exist today, We don't have to be scared of them. We don't have to fear them. That's not our end. The last benefit is eternal salvation. If you would please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21. 1 Peter 3 verse 21 reads, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those words are clear as day. Baptism now saves you. Okay? Baptism saves. Gives you eternal salvation. So, three benefits of baptism. Forgiveness of sins, rescue from death and the devil, and eternal salvation. That's pretty awesome. So my next question would be on the sheet, and if you're in conversation with someone, K, 
Okay, great. You think baptism is something we should do? Why? Why should we baptize? The first reason, those three benefits. Who doesn't want to receive forgiveness of sins, be rescued from death and the devil and have eternal life? I do. Don't lead with the whole thing Jesus tells us to do it, right? That's not, that's not a great, usually leading answer. One of the reasons why do we baptize is because, as back to Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commands us to do so. He says, go make disciples baptizing them. But as we know from our own personal experience, right, when mom and dad tell us to do something because they said so, not usually our leading reason to do something, right? So just like that, just because someone says so doesn't always make us feel like we really want to, lead with the best reason why to get baptized. Because if you get baptized, you get forgiveness and rescue from death and the devil and eternal salvation. That's awesome. If you truly share with someone who's not been baptized that that's what God offers through baptism, I would be curious to see how many people would say, no, I don't want that. You can challenge me and go out there and bring me back some case studies, fine. But curious to see how many people would, if they truly hear of those things through Jesus Christ, you talk to them about Jesus and who he is and the scripture and how he, this is what he has to give you, this is how awesome it is. I'd be curious to see who would actually say, no, I don't want that. Okay? So why? You get the benefits, destroy the power of sin and death. Third one I list on your sheet is to make it personal. So why baptize? Some might say, well, why do I need to be baptized if I can just believe? And, you know, we're going to talk about it in a second that even if someone's not baptized, it's possible for them to be in heaven. Even if they're not baptized, they can be saved. So someone say, well, why should I be baptized? Like, I, I can believe. It's fine. God can still save me. Well, but as we talked about before, when you come forward to the font and you hear his name put on you, it makes it personal. It personally says that for you, for Kevin, this is for you, that this is your benefit. Forgiveness is for you. Death is no longer over you. Eternal salvation is yours. I get to hear that personally with my name and God saying, this is for you. Makes it personal. Also, when we get baptized, we get to point to a moment where we know for a fact that we have those gifts. I've talked to people who, when they don't know if they've been baptized, because there's a lot of discrepancy in their history, and they're, they're, an older, they're an adult by then, and they're like, well, I just don't know if I've been baptized. And when I've talked to those people, they're seriously like shaken with, with concern. And it, it's a burden to them, because they're like, well, I don't know if I've been baptized. I don't know if I have those gifts. Now, we believe the Holy Spirit can work faith in anyone and can bring them into faith and eternal life, and we trust in God. He's the judge. But if we have a chance to come forward and say, yes, for a fact, you are saved. And we shouldn't neglect that. Because that is amazingly comforting. For daily life and death. What I mean by that is, for me to know in my daily life that I'm baptized, that when I have those really horrible days, that's a comfort to know I'm baptized. Or when I'm going through life, and I especially use this with teenagers, but it doesn't matter how old you are, and you're like, well, and the world tries to identify, identify me as an athlete or as a student or by my job. What if I lose one of those things? Then who am I? I'm a runner, right? You've probably all heard that I like to run a little bit. Maybe my water bottle tells a little bit about it. If I break my legs or if I injure my leg and I can't run, and if I put my identity in a, as a runner, if that's all I am is I'm only a runner and I lose that, I'm lost. But because I daily know that I've been baptized, that that's who I am, that I'm God's child, if I lose running, I don't have to lose everything. Yeah, I mean, it'd still be a pretty big bummer, okay? <laughs> Get through that one. <laughs> well, that's the same truth for you. If you lose your job, if you lose a marriage... You lose anything? Who you are is your baptismal identity. That's the one thing that identifies you above everything else. And the one thing that will last forever. And it's extremely comforting, mostly for family, of a, of a loved one who's died. That you lose someone you love dearly and you care about them. It's very comforting to be able to say to, the, to a family in a sermon or in, in private meeting or when you're talking with them that because they're baptized... We know for a fact they have those gifts. It doesn't mean it takes away the pain. It still hurts when we lose people we love. But it does provide comfort to know, well, we know for a fact, because we can point to that day that God did this for them. 
That's why we baptize. So as I've already talked about, uh, can you be saved if you're not baptized? Yes. Okay. Um, I wrote down, we're not going to talk about it just because I want to spend some time on some other things. But I wrote down Luke chapter 23, which is a reference to the thief on the cross. One, a very well-known story, but right there, he's not baptized. Okay. He's hanging on the cross. He doesn't get down, doesn't go through a baptismal rite, doesn't have a whole thing. And yet Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. It's possible to not be baptized and be saved. There are people in this world who will never be able to hear the word of God. I would, I'm guessing. Hopefully the word will spread to them. We'll, we'll just keep getting the word out, right? But it's possible there'll be people who never, ever get to hear the word of God. They're in some remote place. and They just never get the word to them. I believe they can be saved because God's spirit can work in other ways too. Now, if we have the chance again, if we have the opportunity to baptize, let's do it. But God can still, he's God. He can work through any means. The Holy Spirit can work in many different ways. So, this next question is a difficult one. Can you be baptized and yet be eternally lost? Put another way, can you be baptized and actually not be in, not be in heaven one day? Yes. It is possible. Okay? It's possible that someone could be baptized and through their life reject their faith and turn away from God and actually not be saved. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first three verses. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in la later times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Focus especially in that first verse. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. We're baptized, as I've spent a lot of time hopefully emphasizing. God's done the work. God's the one who's given us faith. He's the one who's brought us to faith. He's the one who's made us his. We also have a God who allows for us in this world to reject him. And as we see in here, and I'll emphasize, if people have made it a point to reject what they've been given, yes, they can be eternally lost. Okay? Now with this, we want to be really careful. Because this can be really difficult and emotional part for many people in their, because of their personal lives. They think of a family member who has been baptized and they grew up Christian. Maybe their family is not a whole, very active in the church. Okay? We don't want to run around saying, well, if you just, you know, anyone who's just not active in a church is just going to hell. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Okay? Now, we know that we, to nurture our faith, we need to be in the word, receiving the sacraments. So it's concerning if someone is not doing that. It's concerning that they're likely drifting further and further away. But the key is, is we still rest our, our comfort in God as the judge, okay? And then it's rejection of our faith. I guess if you want to, I work with a lot of teenagers. Can you tell by the way I, I think about things? I'm used to the kids saying, but what if, right? These very, very specific pointed what if questions. I love working with teenagers. But well, well, what if, you know, they say, it's like, well, it's possible that a person, by not going to church, by not reading the word, essentially over time is rejecting his word. That's possible, right? Because the more you say, I'm going to choose to go to XYZ over here and reject spending time in his word, neglecting his word, his sacraments, yes, you're rejecting it. It's possible you fall away from the faith. It's also possible that while you're still here on this earth, you've done those things, but God can bring you right back. Okay? And God says that what saves us is faith. He doesn't say certain stacks and levels of it. Okay? So please keep coming to church. It's good. Keep coming here to study. Right? But even if someone should have the smallest amount of faith, that's still a faith he created and it was what saves them. So we want to be careful. Can someone be baptized and reject their faith, faith and, go, and not be in heaven? Yes. But let's do all we can to pray for them and encourage them to not have that happen. And then trust God that he's the judge. Okay. Last section on your sheet there. Ongoing daily return to baptism. So I've kind of alluded to this in part throughout our time. But 
With baptism, we look at it as God... This is where my imaginary font's been all day, by the way. So this is why I keep coming back here. If God, we come in our font, we come to the font where in his word, with the water, he claims us, he makes us his, we're baptized. One time thing, it happens. It happened once, he saved us, he made us his one time. But every single day we should remember that baptism. And in multiple different ways. So on your um, note sheet there, if you have it before you, I put down some different ideas. Um, One, the invocation. Every time we come together for worship, we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Some of us maybe don't even think of that anymore, right? Because so, you're so used to it. It's like, okay, this is how we begin. But that is invoking God's word, and it reminds us of our baptism. Now, we don't have this opportunity at St. Paul's, but some sanctuaries have a cool opportunity where their baptismal font is actually, for lack of better terms, in the back of the sanctuary, so like you have to pass the font before you come in and sit down for worship. And what's cool about this, here's a neat practice I would encourage you to think about if you ever are around, is when you pass the font, you can dip your hand in the water and make the sign of the cross upon you because there, before you come into worship, you remember your baptism, you're baptized, you're washed clean, now here you get to receive his, his word even more, which is pretty cool. We just don't have that. So you got the words of invocation in our prayers. I mean, you can just pray about it every day. I would encourage you to do so. Um, as we confess the creed. Okay, when you go through a baptismal rite, we have a baptism in worship. We confess the creed. Usually it's a little interrupted because I say, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? And the congregation responds, yes, I believe. And it's like a little bit back and forth. But we're still saying the creed. So every other son, every other time you're in worship, every Sunday you're in worship, you're confessing the creed. That's another chance to remember your baptism. Hey, I'm confessing this faith. This is the faith that I've been given through baptism, through the creed. When we witness other baptisms, that one's kind of nice, right? How do you remember yours? Well, I see another one, so it reminds me about mine. Um, when you hear preaching, hopefully preachers re- reference it. And then this other one, when we see water. Now, I fully recognize that when I go out and, like, I've got my water here, I'm not thinking about baptism when I just have a drink every single time. But there is something to it, the fact that God took the most ordinary thing around, water. We're made of how much percentage of water? Does any scientist in here know what's our body percentage of water? No? I don't know. We'll say 70. I'll be wrong. I'm on the air. It's fine. We're like 70% water or more, they say, right? So we're made of all this stuff, and this is what God took, and he said, I'm going to do something amazing with that water that's so ordinary, you're made mostly of water. The fact that we wash our hands regularly with water, we wash our dishes, we take a shower, I mean, all this kind of stuff. God took ordinary water that's everywhere, so that how often could we help remember what, what he's done for us? Again, when I wash the dishes, I don't always think about, oh, I've been baptized, right? Could I? Yes. You're washing those dirty dishes. You're washing the dirt, the gross food off that you left your leftovers on there or whatever. There goes the dirt. Just like in baptism, he washed clean the dirt, the sin out of our lives. Everywhere we go, we have this. We can remember it. The last point that I didn't put on there I want you to think about is remembering your baptismal birthday. Remember your baptismal day. So if you know the day you've been baptized, celebrate that every year just like you celebrate your birthday. Right? Most people, if you have your birthday, you get a little cake or like, you know, maybe a party. I don't know, even presents, right? I'm not telling you you have to go get presents all the time, but do something for your baptismal birthday. For our kids, I didn't grow up having this, but I'm trying to be, trying to be a good pastor and remember my children's baptismal birthdays. Um, we take their baptismal candle out, which is like this big, and it looks ridiculous, but we stick it in a cupcake. It looks ridiculous. And then we sing the ridiculously awkward song of happy baptismal birthday to you to get my kids used to it. It's really, really tricky, but it's the way we're trying. Our kids are little. They're four and under. Also, we realized, so my one daughter is born, her birthday, my middle daughter's birthday is the same as my oldest daughter's baptismal birthday. At ages four and two, that's really hard to explain. My one daughter just kept saying it was her birthday all day when it wasn't her birthday. So we're like, we need to do something. We're going to move her baptismal birthday for a year until she gets older. But anyways, do something to, to hopefully help you remember, this is the day. How many years ago when God made me his child? Do something different that day. 
Set that day apart. Again, I just went through saying you can remember it, and you should every single day, but especially on that anniversary of it every year, remember it somehow. Something. Any last questions or thoughts? Okay, cool. Um, like I said, I have a little less material to get through than Pastor Siva King last week. Uh, but hopefully we dive deep into baptism. And I left this handout so you can have these references and take them with you. There are other places in Scripture where baptism is talked about and referenced many other places. Uh, these are just some of the more common ones to turn to. Let's end with a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time to be together in your word and to consider the wonderful thing that you have done for us through baptism. Lord, for those, if there are those in our midst who are not yet baptized, we pray that you move them to holy baptism, that through your word and the water you get to claim them as yours. And for each and every one of us who are already baptized, already made your children, may you strengthen us in our baptism each and every day. Enable us to remember our baptism more frequently. And then give us the courage to share our baptismal identity with anybody and everybody we meet in ways to show them that you are an amazing God who has a wonderful gift, so many gifts for all to receive. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.